Blue Dementia. In the days when a man would hold a swarm of words inside his belly, nestled against his spleen, singing. In the days of night riders, when life tongued a reed till blues and sorrow song called out of the deep night, another man done gone. Another man done gone. In the days when one could lose oneself all up inside love that way, and then moan on the bone till the gods cried out in someone's sleep. Today, already I've seen three dark-skinned men discussing the weather with demons and angels, gazing up at the clouds and squinting down into iron grates along the fast streets of luminous encounters. I double-check my reflection in plate glass and wonder, am I passing another Lucky Thompson or Marion Brown, cornered by a blue dementia, another dark-skinned man who woke up dreaming one morning and then walked out of himself dreaming? Did this one dare to step on a crack in the sidewalk, to turn a midnight corner and never come back whole? Or did he try to stare down a look that shoved a blade into his heart? I mean, I also know something about night riders and catgut. Yeah, honey, I know something about talking with ghosts. Yusef Kamunyaka. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Spark podcast with your host, I am Rhea Carmen. And today I am having a conversation with an amazing woman that I met when I was in college. Um, and she did a poem with only one word in it. And I cannot remember that, that word, but I just remember you said it so many different ways. And uh, so that is my first memory of you, but I have so many other beautiful memories of this wonderful woman. Um, she is a teacher. She is an author, a poet, a grandmother, a mother, an advocate. She's just amazing all around, and she is one of my mentors. And so I want to welcome the one and only Marilyn Callett to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. We take turns being each other's mentors, Rhea. We take turns. Oh man, that means so much to me. Every time you um every time you tell me that, I, I feel a little bitter about myself. Yeah. <laughs> so the the great thing about this podcast is I just get to talk to amazing poets and find out what causes their spark, um, what got them started. I have heard your story so many times, but I want everybody else to know, like, how did you get started writing? And like, what is that first memory? Like, what's that first memory of you and poetry? Well, I had a wonderful teacher in first grade, Miss Howe. And Miss Howe, um, she taught me how to read. I was the first kid in our class to read. And she was so proud of me. She had me read aloud Goldilocks and the Three Bears. And she was kind, you know, there was never, no problems with her. Whereas at home, my family, it was uh, rocky, okay? My parents, 
my father had a temper. Let's put that, put it that way. Um, and so school was like a refuge. It was a place where I could go and be safe and be loved. And then suddenly there was this whole new world opening, right? When we first got to New York and I went to the Horn and Hard Out ornament with my parents and it was five cents then to get a sandwich. We had no money, we had five cents. Um, they asked me what I wanted and because we'd been reading, my mother had told me the story of Goldilocks. I said, porridge. And they were like, oh, we, we don't have porridge. Oh, wow. No, porridge. My mother porridge. said I had a total meltdown. What do you mean, no porridge? I never liked oatmeal. <laughs> oatmeal. I don't want oatmeal. <laughs> so anyway. Wow. Thank God for Miss Howe. Um, that's how I got started. Miss Howe was she, my angel. She gave the world a blessing. Yeah. Yeah, seriously. Seriously. And she taught, she taught second grade. And she told me they had put her in second grade to teach. But she told me that she was teaching second grade so she could teach me again. Oh, wow. So then she made you feel special. <laughs> And I think, you know, that's the thing about teachers is we we have that ability to be an escape for some students. You oh, know, a, so, a lot right? of kids yeah. mm -hmm. really need that. And when you can have a teacher that you connect with, as I know so many of your students, I can run into them all over the city, uh -oh. um, all <laughs> over the country even. And you are that type of a teacher. You know, you are that type of a teacher that people never forget you. So, um really and truly thank thankful for Miss Howe and how she put that spirit in you to be that type of an instructor and a teacher. Because that's just what you do. Uh, you said Goldilocks and, and, the, uh, and the three bears, yeah. and I'm sure that you've graduated from there by now. <laughs> <laughs> but what are some of the fav your favorite books? Like what, what books are you loving reading and writers you know, are you loving? I've been right reading um, Louise Penny's uh, series she does uh, murder mysteries, Chief Inspector Gamache from uh, Montreal. And wow. so I like that. It's very, very well written. Um, you know, it's literature, but it's also a mystery story with uh, strong characters and strong female characters. So, yes, Louise Penny, come on, bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> bring it on. Yeah. And, you know, I still go back to Lucille Clifton, uh, rest in peace, mm. because she was my mentor. Uh, poetry mentor and she was another you know she's a poetry mother right she she embraced me you know she let me know that i could i could take risks that i wasn't going to fall down mm. so yeah it's just a poem a day and if it's bad it's okay just keep going <laughs> okay so i'm so glad you said that so lucille yeah. clifton is the one who kind of instilled in you to just write a poem a day we were, uh, I went to um, the community of writers. In those days, it was called Squaw Valley Community of Writers. They changed the name for obvious reasons. Uh, <laughs> so community of writers. And there, uh, the first year I went there, the teachers were Lucille Clifton, Galway Cannell, um, Brenda Hillman, Yusef Komanyaka. Oh, wow. I mean, I had everybody. They were amazing mentors. They, and the, 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 the ethic at, uh, at the community of writers was that you you only say positive things so when we were wow. workshopping each other's work you could only say positive things you couldn't say well if it were my poem i would you know you, no, <laughs> don't no, do that no. no no it's just like well i really like and if there wasn't you know as our mothers used to say if you can't say something nice don't say anything <laughs> 
you had to write something new every day. You couldn't bring an old work. Wow. So okay. that was good too. So it was generative. I mean, you know, when you're writing a poem a day, the stuff isn't very good, but it was a spark. And then you could bring it back home and sit with it and see what it wanted to be. So that was, you know, I went there three times. I went there three years because it was wow. so good for me every time. So now, okay, so you're writing these poems mm -hmm. every day. Yeah. And shucks, I need to get in that habit, right? I don't write every well, who day. Who does anymore, to. right? Yeah. I used to, but mm -hmm. I, and I feel as though if I got back into it, I'd probably be very happy with myself. Um, but when you're writing these poems every day, you said you said it's a spark. Yeah. So you sometimes go back and you revisit them. Absolutely. And it becomes a whole nother work or like what's that revision process for you like for you? Well, yes, definitely to sit with it and, you know, hone the language. Um, this I went back to this process again during the pandemic when it first started in 2020, uh, March 18th, 2020. Um, I was listening to PBS NewsHour and Yo-Yo Ma uh, was playing cello. And then he talked about his work and he said that each day during the pandemic, he did a, a song of comfort every day. And then mm. he encouraged all of us to do that. And I was like, okay, you know? So I sat down and I started to do a comfort song every day. And those were like those little finger exercises. And so the new manuscript has, the first chapter has a batch of those. Of these comfort points. Yeah. I Songs love Songs of that. comfort. Yeah. Songs of comfort. Mm -hmm. Can we hear one? Sure. <laughs> sure. Now let me find one of those. <laughs> we'll get there. Here, here we go. All right. Spiritual. What power has love during a pandemic? Ours was always virtual. Plato called it. Kind love swells stronger like a muscle. It has been working out, but lighter, invisible, like atomic weights. Love that lifts us daily without hope of gain. We practiced for this. Virtual, virtuous, quote to me. Write to me. Write to me, buddy. Plato, Plato. Mixed metaphors taste good. Honey, words are all we have and hold. So that was from the second day of the, um, of the pandemic. The first day, the first poem was called Comfort Song in a Time of Peril, March 18th, 2020. Sleep, little one. Mama has washed her hands. Daddy won't touch his face. We'll keep you from harm with love and antibacterial wipes. Mm. We'll scrub everything twice. Mommy will keep daddy happy with her tongue. Wait, that's a different poem. <laughs> Mommy will sing you a powerful germ-free lullaby. Sleep, little one. Trump's an idiot, but you will grow up to be smart, empowered, fearless, and by then there will be a vaccine and a Democrat. <laughs> so who's a prophet? Who's a prophet? Yeah, you did. You called that one on March 18th. That's so crazy. Um, yeah. Wow. It's been almost two years now. Oh, God, please. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. been almost two years now. And and you uh, you spoke things into existence. Um, you, you put this little bit of, uh, comedy right in the midst of the turmoil. Right. Is that on purpose or is that just kind of like your, the way your personality comes out in your poetry? 
Um, you know, there are some poems in here that are grim, uh, but um, they tend to be about the Holocaust. I've never been able to, you know, I, I keep doing family history stories. So the last chapter of the manuscript, so we have we have funny, funky stuff at the beginning and some of the pandemic stuff, which is No Day at the Beach. Um, and then uh, goes into different sort of uh, my time in France. And then the third section has poems of Jewish identity. And there we don't get any humor um, because, you know, what do you, yeah, it's not funny. Right? Right. So that that is, I, I struggle at times finding the ability to just stay in a grim topic. And I don't, I don't know if this is a good or a bad practice, but there's always some positive. I always try to find some positive, even in the midst of the grim topics. Absolutely, and absolutely. And for me, um, that was um, my, I went, I, looking at the Holocaust material, um, I got started with it because I found among my mother's papers she had a picture of her hugging two, two older, elderly gentlemen and under it in her handwriting, she had written the, the Schwartz brothers, the Nazis got the others. I mm. found this after her death in, in, her, in her papers. There was this picture with her, you know, the Nazis got the others. And I'm like, what others, you know? So I called my cousin David, who had been in the military in Germany and said, do you know anything about our family history? And, oh, yeah. He said, yes, the Schwartzes, they lived in... Um, Horb, Rexingen, Southwest Germany, told me where they, you know, where the family had been. Well, I got, I went to the Holocaust Museum. I researched who had been there, what had happened. What had happened was not good, as you know. Right. Uh, and um, and I went, I went to the the, the uh, village where they had lived, where my family had lived before the war. A wonderful young German scholar from Stuttgart took me around. Like the, the next generation was, was like give, gives you hope, mm -hmm. you know. This is like, well, let me show you what it was, and you know. And so I had a wonderful guide. I was able to find out a whole lot, and then I wrote and wrote and wrote, and I I sort of wrote that through. And as you say, there's a point where you let it, you 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 back away from it, mm -hmm. um, but then the anti-Semitism keeps going. So there are some poems about that in the new manuscript, a few, a couple of poems about that, because it's, you know, it doesn't go away. Right. It's, it's still permanent. Right. Yeah. And so as much as we look for hope and we look for change, there's still that underlying. Yeah. Definitely. It's still lingering. Yes. Um, it's almost as though it's a little bit like a cockroach. You just can't <laughs> suck them all out, right? That's right. That's right. There's still always one that comes trickling back in. That's right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you um, you mentioned the next generation. Um, so what would you share with the next generation of poets? Um, what do you want to see? What do you want to hear? Well, my best teachers were the ones that told me not to censor myself. And so that's the starter is you sit and you write what's in your heart. You write what you, what you need to write and you don't let anyone tell you, uh, you know, no, you shouldn't say that. You can't say, you just, 
you write what's there and then then you go back and you look and you see what you want to what you want to make public you you know writing what you want to write doesn't mean you share everything you've just written it means you know you can just be selective and okay and then i'll show this and uh um, and then reading the writers who are great, you know, like reading Youssef and Lucille and Adrian Rich and uh, Brenda Hillman and Robert Hass and those, you know, whoever the writers are for you that you love, studying what they've done to see where they put their footsteps and where they put how, how they break their lines and so on. That's that's what to do. And in Knoxville, there are plenty of good writers like yourself who are helping the next generation to you know, to articulate themselves and who are not afraid of something new, you know? Um, so, yeah. I think that that might be one of the big things that I've always taken from you is that lack of censorship. Like, Good. Just unabashedly, <laughs> you are Marilyn and I love it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's so, um, Thank you, same. Well, you know, some of the stuff I probably should have censored, but hey, <laughs> it's out there now. <laughs> I always think back to the point that you wrote um, a letter uh, after you were told that they weren't going to finance you going to France. Oh, that's right. And, Ode to and disappointment. I, yes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I was like, oh, that's that's her all day. And I love it. I love every every Thank minute you. of it. <laughs> just because you do you have that underlying humor that can come out sometimes on oh, i hope so right? what seems to be like some of the a hard topic and you'll just throw a little just a little bit of maryland humor <laughs> <in there. laughs> and it makes it so much easier to deal with so much more palatable oh good good yay and finding poetry's ability to do just that to take the hard and then make it palatable. What kinds of, of, of things do you challenge other people to write? Like if you're doing a workshop, what do you challenge other people to write? I, I usually give the assignment to, um, okay, write something that you were told never to talk about. Mm. You know, uh, the Breaking Silences poem, because everybody's got that. And then there'll be someone who says, Oh, well, I never had anything that, no, it's like, really? Okay. Well, and I'm thinking like, I, who are you? <laughs> what kind Wait, of house did what? you grow up in? <laughs> Mama always said, don't talk about something. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. So, especially my, my Southern mother, I have to tell you, the first time that, uh, my, I walked to school with Nancy Schmidt. This is fourth grade. And Nancy, Nancy Schmidt said the F word. I didn't know what it was. So I went back in the house and I said it to my mother. And my, my mother's this good Southern lady who takes me upstairs. We were home alone. We could have been downstairs. She took me upstairs to her room and closed the door. And she said, now, where did you learn that word? Where did you get that word from? And I said, well, Nancy Schmidt told me that word. And she said, well, you are never going to play with Nancy Schmidt again, you know. But what happened to me in that moment was I was so happy to see that, to feel that a word could have that much power. Wow. That was one of the moments where I became a poet because it was like, whoa. Yes, that was. <laughs> Look what one word can do. <laughs> Make mama leave downstairs, go upstairs, close the door and whisper. 
she said, I never said that in my life. I'm thinking, you know, later, well, maybe you should have, you know. <laughs> there had to be moments. Come on. Yeah, there had to be at least once. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's that's how those good Southern ladies were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's it's so funny. Um, yeah, words have so much power and can take you on a journey. How one word clearly took your mother and you on a journey through the house, you know, but also in, on a journey through her past and her experiences. That one word caused that much to happen. Um, and so I think that that's what our poetry does. That's what our words are doing on a regular basis. Uh, I spoke um, at Fulton High School. In one... Oh, okay. I spoke at Fulton High School, and I think one of the things I said was, "Freedom is on the page." And somebody like sent me a text message with that as a quote, and it was like, "This is the best line out of everything you said is that freedom is on the page. When you get to that page, you have just freedom. That's it's that's your safe space." That's great. That's beautiful. Yeah. So tell us now, what do you have in the works? Um, Where can the listeners follow you, keep up with what you're doing? Thank you for asking. Thank you. The the new book is called Even When We Sleep. And it's from Eluard's line, Even When We Sleep, We Watch Over One Another. Uh, Of course, he said it in French, Même quand nous dormons, nous nous veillons l'un sur l'autre. Even When We Sleep. And so, there's lots of love poems and funny poems in there, and there's poems about the pandemic and poems about Jewish identity. So that will be out. They were saying March, uh, Black Widow Press. You can get it anywhere, Amazon or any of the um, Barnes and Noble. But because of the paper, uh, the supply chain disruption and paper, the paper supply, it may be uh, later than that. It may be up to. They're giving themselves up till June to to get the book out. So if you, you can pre-order it now on Amazon. Awesome. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and are you on Instagram or Facebook? For, or oh, Facebook, yes. Okay. I haven't been, I haven't gotten into Instagram. Do you think it's, a, do you, do you value it? I do. Um, yeah? I value okay. it uh-huh. mostly for the connection to the younger generation. Ah, Okay. Yeah, no, that's important. It gives me a connection because they don't come on Facebook anymore. It's for old people. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Um, I find that when I uh, am sharing things on Instagram, a lot of the younger generation will tune into my Instagram lives. Good to know. Older people tune into my Facebook okay. lives. So, oh. um, <laughs> I'm an older person. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I should then try to do, uh, I'll, I'll see if I can do more. You were inspiring me to try, try to do more with the Instagram. I couldn't do less, so I got do more. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can definitely do more. Social media is not my bag. I'm trying yeah. to do a better job at it. Well, I mean, it's just a sinkhole of time. It is. I get on there and then I start looking through everything and then I've lost 20 minutes. Yeah. That's 20 minutes I could have written a poem. So that's right. (laughs) So, what is in the future for Marilyn Cowley? Well, okay. So, got the the new book coming out and uh, my publisher has me translating a French poet named Leon Paul Fargue. Mm. He wrote in the. you know, during the First World War, he was in Paris. He was a Parisian, and he he was very well known to hanging out in the cafes. He was a socialite, um, 
And so um, um, he, he wrote operas as well as, as poetry and lots of prose poems, which I adore. So what I'm going to do is a sampler of his work. And what you'll get is a slice of Paris in 1916, wow. you know, hopefully. A slice of Paris. Yeah, I will try. I will try. Are you still doing um, the Avalar workshops? The past couple of years, it hasn't happened. Uh, in Fr initially, the uh, 2018, the French government forbid, uh, put a lid on the tourists, so you couldn't go in. You can go in now, but I'm not. I, ha I haven't gone back yet. Well, hopefully, I will. I'm thinking 2023. And Lou wants to go, my husband, so maybe he'll go with me. And like that, it'll be more fun. So, I mean, I love the place, and I miss the people, and I especially worry about the older people. That will I see them? You know. Because it's been a while and they're in their 80s. But um, but yeah, hopefully I will get back to Ovilar. I miss the croissant as well as the people, of course. But I've tried, you know, like today I went to Bucky's to get a croissant. And, you know, it's not Paris. <laughs> no, it's not. It's Knoxville. <laughs> very different from Paris. <laughs> very, very different. But they want our rock and roll in, in France, in Paris. They want our music, so... Everybody you know, we got stuff here. <laughs> yeah. If you could collab with any artist, dead or alive, who would it be and Ooh. why? Ooh. This is a question I'm asking on every episode. So, ah. Well, of course, Eluard was one of my heroes, and I translated him when I was in, I started translating him when I was a senior in college. The last love poems. Uh, he was in the. He were, was in the resistance. He was. He headed up a powerful unit of the resistance in Paris, and his poetry always just completely inspires me. The love poems. So yeah, I would. I would like that. And he paired up with Chagall, uh, and and so some of his books are illustrated by Chagall. The early books. Mm. You have these incredible paintings. So. Could I join in? <laughs> I like it. I like it. How about the three of us? <laughs> if not, then Georgia O'Keeffe. <laughs> so is, yeah. is he inspiration for your book, Love Poems? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, don't, I never knew that. I never knew that. That oh, was yeah. the inspiration behind mm -hmm. that. Oh, yeah. I love the book. <laughs> you rocked yeah. it out no, in he, that he one. Never, Eloward never leaves me. Uh, yeah. I love it. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Marilyn. And oh, my pleasure. But next time I get to interview you, okay? Okay. Yep. <laughs> All right. okay. Uh, there, there's, there's nothing too special to talk about. Uh, no, I don't believe that. <laughs> I know that's not true. Okay. Much love. Uh, yes. Thank and you. enjoy the rest of your weekend and kiss baby Jack Jack for me. Okay. Okay. Take care, my friend. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Beyond the Spark podcast. Remember to follow Ray of Sunshine Poetry on social media and please subscribe to the podcast so you can be notified when another episode is dropped. Again, thanks for tuning in and we will see you next time when we go Beyond the Spark.